Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. and that's impossible. Who sounds alike? They say you and me sound alike. Oh, that they, where have you seen that? And I've seen it. People tell me that. I said, that's because we lived together for too many years. There is nothing about our voices that sound alike. Because I'm not from Chicago. No, because you have this sweet, soothing voice. I have this like scratchy, what kind of voice do I have? Slap down. Susie's a slap down voice. KT's a calming voice. Yeah, that's right. All right, shall we begin this podcast, KT? All right, Susie, let's do it. All right. Do you all like listening to our pre-banter before we start a podcast? We're pan-cast? not bantering. We're just telling the truth. I'm calming. You're slap down. Slap down, slap down, <laughs> slap down. All right, all everybody. Right. May 27th, 2021. Welcome to Ask Susie and KT Anything Podcast. We love Thursdays Ask Susie Anything because you get to have KT with her. Sunday Lately, Sunday School with Susie has been a you were little with focused. Us. You were with us I last was, Sunday. But, but this coming Sunday. I was a crybaby. You were, and that was okay. Yeah. I just want to say something. Sharon, who we talked about last Sunday on the podcast, which is the reason I cried, um, heard the podcast. And she wrote KT and she said, thank you for dedicating the podcast to that topic. And she was shocked at how many of her relatives and people that she knows are not prepared for the what ifs of life. Wow, really? And that she's made all of them listen to the podcast. Her husband is still in critical condition Mm. in the hospital, but she and her son have decided that they are going ahead and they are going to sell the house and move ahead with plans, which I agree with because we're at the top of the real estate market here, or we're still doing great in the real estate market. Who knows if it's the top? So she's doing pretty good, just so you know. All right. We'll keep you all posted. Okay, are we ready, Susie? Ready to begin? <laughs> we are. Go All on. right. So my first question is the kind of question that KT loves. This is from Ralph, a, a man really smart enough to listen and smart enough to send in the perfect question. Here it goes. Dear Susie, what can we do to keep our children's inheritance from their spendthrift spouses? Ooh. Yeah, I have news for you. If your children are responsible with money and really care about money and safeguard their money, 
they won't be their spouses for long, just so you know. But besides that, since there's no way for us to know for sure, you first have to educate your children in that if you do leave them an inheritance, that they must never, ever put that money in a joint account with their spouses. They must always keep that money in their individual name. Because as soon as they put it in an account that has their spouse's name on it as well, it is half their spouse's money. So that you have got to educate them all inheritance, no matter who their spouse happens to be, even if they're not a spendthrift, has to be kept in their individual name. If you could that be a wish from, you know, the parent, you know, can can you actually write that? You could as a wish. Well, you can say it as a wish, mm -hmm. but if you really think that your children will not do that and will not listen to you, you can always just a thing leave it via your living revocable trust to them that has a trustee that is in charge of that money. So the money isn't given directly to the kids, but every time your kids want to use it, they have to ask the trustee. So that's another way to do it. You can also leave it to them in an irrevocable trust, mm -hmm. a trust that cannot be changed and designate how much money they get at a specific time. Or you could also do that in your revocable trust. But there are things that you can do. You just need to really research them and decide which is best for your particular situation. Okay, there you go, Ralph. Now you know what to do. Yeah. Okay, next question, Susie, is a little bit complicated from Gigi. I would like, it says, hi, Susie. I would like to ask your advice. Wait, are you picking questions that don't even say and KT? Not yet. I got some KTs coming up, but these I'm trying to mix it up so I have short one, a medium one, and a long. One day I'm going to have to watch you do this. What your process is, so, Travis? Some of these questions coming in just you know are two sheets of paper. Those are my reluctant ones. They go on the bottom of the list, but this one I like. Because I, I wouldn't know what to say. That's why I picked the ones that I need duh, to learn myself. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> All right. Susie, that's not nice. This is from Gigi. <laughs> but it's true. I would like to ask your advice on my 401k that I transferred to traditional IRA in April 2020 after I retired. My financial advisor divided the funds into the following. She put about 300 in stocks an annuity, and a money market account. Now, the advisor suggested we replace... How much did she put in the money market account? Um, 150000 How much did she put in the annuity? 100000 All right, so we have $300,000 so, in stocks, $100,000 in an annuity, and 150000 in a money market account. Yeah, How old is she? Yeah, a million. Um, she's 69, and she's married. Her husband's 71. All right. But ready for this, Susie? Okay. The advisor suggested we replace the money market and put 100000 to an annuity for a 1.75 annual return for three years, uh -huh. and we put 50000 into a variable annuity. Ooh. So we know where this is going. <laughs> now, ready for this, Susie? <laughs> I, I can I can tell by Susie's <laughs> face what she's, she's getting ready for that big slap down. The advisor would like me to give my decision this week. Oh. And... 
just to get to top it off, um, Gigi and her husband have not taken any money from these accounts at all. Because they don't so, need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't need it. But there you go, all Susie. Right. Gigi, are you sitting down? Are you sitting down, girlfriend? Because here's what I would say to you. More than even what the advisor is suggesting at this moment in time, the mere fact that she wants an answer from you within one week, an advisor should never rush anybody into making a decision. And if there is a reason that she wants that decision right away, it very well may be because there's a contest where she's working and as many people as put money into something, she wins the contest. But whatever it is, or she herself needs money, because I can tell you on these annuities, there could be anywhere from a 4 to 7% sales commission. So let's Is just, that up front? That's up front. Ooh. Right. So let's just say that you have $150,000 and it's a 5% sales commission. Now she has just made $7,500 in commission, Gigi. That is a lot of money. Now, even though you aren't the one who pays for it, so to speak, and her firm is paying her to sell that to you, the truth of the matter is all annuities all annuities have a surrender charge. So that means if you wanted to come out of that annuity before the surrender charge is up, and a surrender charge usually lasts about seven years. So if you came out the first year, you would get a 7% surrender charge. If you came out the second year, maybe it's 6%, then 5%. And the reason that is, is that the firm wants to know that they're going to make back their commission that they paid this woman to sell this to you. So that's my first red flag. Whenever a financial advisor says, make a decision within a week, I need to know, over. It's over for me. That's number one. Number two, there would be absolutely no reason on any level for you to buy a variable annuity within a retirement account. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever on any level. And this Sunday, what I'll do is I'll give a Susie school on why that is true because I don't want to take up all the time right here now to explain it. But you would never, ever, ever do that. Next, yes, I understand that maybe she wants you to do a fixed annuity for 1.75% guaranteed for three years, not bad. But what happens after the three years, Gigi? What does the interest rate go to after three years? And how long is the surrender period on it. So again, I will explain that. Bottom line here, I would not be doing either of those things. I would be leaving it right where it is right now. Because if the market were to go down, maybe that would give you an opportunity to buy into more high yielding dividend paying stocks and things like that. Anyway, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Tune in Sunday. Tune in Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Next question is from Lisa. A real estate question. Wait, I have to just go back to this for one second. I know KT. KT thinks I go on too long about all these things. But I'm now looking at this piece of paper, right? the email that Gigi sent in. And she said 
that we have a moderate variable risk of stocks, funds, and others of 300000 with the return of $32,000. What, no, what you have to know is that over this past year or whatever, while you may think a 10% return was good, it actually was not good, Gigi. You know, even the Standard & Poor's 500 index funds over years now have averaged 14%. So 10% in growth over this last year, even though you may think that was great, I don't know if you do or not, wasn't that great, just so you know. Okay, I'm really not liking this advisor, am I? No, you're not. All right. Anyway, go on. Okay. But we have some advisors we love, but this particular yes, this one- This has nothing to do about all advisors. You know my saying. What's my saying, KT? When you find a good advisor, they're like finding gold yeah, and, yeah. and share them with everybody. everybody. Yeah. Okay. So next question is from Lisa. Hi, Susie. I'm writing to request your help. I own a co-op in Port Washington, New York. According to the co-op owner's attorney, they will not allow me to put my co-op shares in a living revocable trust. I have other assets she has a condo in Missouri, traditional IRA, Roth IRA, and 401B. Could you please advise me, Susie, how I should proceed? I have all other must-have documents except for the living revocable trust because of this glitch. So she's been a fan for a long time, yeah. but she doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So Lisa, what you really need to understand is just because the co-op board won't let you do it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a living revocable trust. The reason that co-ops do not like the co-ops to be owned in trust is because they don't know who you're going to be leaving that co-op to. And remember, co-ops want to approve the person that's living in that co-op. It's not like you just get to buy and sell a co-op to anybody. They have to appear in front of the board. They have to look at their finances, everything. So they do not like when a co-op is owned in trust, because you could very easily then transfer the ownership of that co-op to somebody else, even while you're alive, mm. and they don't want that. But that shouldn't prevent you from doing the living revocable trust and putting your house in Missouri in it and your other stuff in it, just because most co-op boards refuse to allow you to own it in a living revocable trust. Okay. That's good advice because that makes sense. Yeah, I have to agree with the co-op board yeah, on this. Yeah, the truth of the matter is I don't like co-ops. You never did, but we did have one. Yeah, we sold it because, <laughs> you know, because we, we, you have to get approval. Who do you rent it out to? Maybe they don't like the person you want to sell it to. We wanted to sell it to our niece. I just don't like they're them. They're in place to assure security and, and everyone's wishes that live there, but they can also be very biased and very racist. Yeah, I, I don't like them on That's any right. level. All right, right, go on. Okay, next one is from Melanie. This is another great question. Hi, Susie and KT. Finally, my, we got a KT. We're my, on four questions I, now. When you finally got one, one coming up. Hi, Susie and KT. My children are twelve and fourteen. Should I freeze their credit to protect them from fraud? Good if, question. Why is that a good question? Well, because most people don't know. I'm also thinking, what credit, 12 and 14? That's my girl. That's my girl. Whose credit? Whose credit? Mommy's credit. <laughs> so here's the thing, my dear Melanie, which is, do your kids have credit cards at 12 and 14? I doubt it, but maybe they do. 
What do they have? Is there anything to protect? However, with that said, they do have identity. You know, they have a social security number, they have all those things. And that doesn't prevent somebody from establishing credit cards in their name by falsifying certain, you know, certain facts about them. So if it's possible for you to freeze their credit and freezing their credit would have to be done with Experian, Equifax and TransUnion. So if they happen to have a credit report at this point in time, and you should check to see if they do, then why not just freeze it? There's, you know, there's no reason not to, but I'm not exactly sure they have credit at this moment in time. Okay, Susie, next one is from Beth. This is a Susie and KT. Her question's very, very relevant to today's environment, and I think this will help a lot of parents. So... Beth said, my son is about to turn 18. All right. I want to be able to give him some solid advice about investing. So she's raised him as a single mom and she herself has made many financial mistakes throughout her lifetime. But here's the deal. His generation is all about instant gratification. He just wants to make money and make it fast. And what happened, what's happening is that he and his friends have become what Beth calls mini day traders. They're buying into crypto and other trendy stock flavors of the day and selling when high. They're using apps like Robinhood, dropping hundreds or yeah. thousands and pulling out when they hit big. What so does that son, mean, dropping hundreds well, and thousands? Listen to this. Her or son, hundreds of dollars, thousands. Thousands of dollars. Right, yeah. So her son comes home and says, mom, mom. You know, my friend um, is really hitting big. He put $100 in something and he made 3000 in one day. So she's really worried that they're running their lives like little mini casinos is what she calls it. They're getting huge hits of dopamine. <laughs> I get it. So what's her question? And the question is, how can she explain the risks of this impulsive instant gratification investing trend to her 18-year-old son. She's trying I to get, get him it. interested in I get it, Katie. I got else. it. What should she do? So, so Beth needs some good advice. Beth, I think both you and KT are going to be surprised at my answer, as well as everybody else listening. He's 18. You yourself said that you're now 48 years of age and that that you made many mistakes, but that you're doing essentially really well right now and whatever. And it's very possible, Beth, that the reason that you're doing well now is because you learned from the mistakes that you made. In the same way, you never listen to what your parents tell you. You always want to be on your own. You always think that you know better than your parents. And then once you find out that you made a mistake, you learned the hard way. He's young enough right now, he's still young enough, 18, that he will make mistakes. I mean, if people just looked at it, what happened with Bitcoin this last week, I mean, a lot of money was lost. So are you sure that he's making money? Did his friend reinvest the $3,000 and now it's worth nothing? You never know. But the best way for him to learn is to lose money. 
And he's not going to be losing that much right now. If he invests $100 here or $100 there, he makes money, he thinks he's doing great. And then all of a sudden he loses it all. Oh, he'll learn. So let him learn and let's see where he goes. Because he's not going to allow you to teach him. Not at the age of 18. He's going to want to be like his friends. The other thing you can do is you can say to him, okay, let's make a deal, right? You have $1,000 maybe that you can invest. Let's take $500 and put it in a Roth IRA and let me make the investment decisions for you with that money. You can do whatever you want with the other $500. And in three years from now, let's look who has the most money and let money teach him not mommy teach him, let money teach him because money is the greatest teacher of all. And when it doesn't do what you think it's going to do, oh, you'll learn the lesson you need to learn. Just that simple. So don't worry about it, my dear Beth. That was great advice because I was I was thinking the same thing. Do a 50-50. Yeah. Do it my mom's way and your way. And, and then, if he decides then weigh he, it in even after a year. Right. And if he decides that he doesn't want to, then fine. But he will learn. Trust me. Mm -hmm. People who are investing for the quick dollar, oh, they will learn. And if he doesn't and he makes a lot of money, well, either way, <laughs> <laughs> he came out okay. What else you got for me, girlfriend? Okay, this next one is from Juanita. Wait, these are the cutest little shoes that you have on. What are those? Barbara, my sister Barbara turned me on to these. Oh my they're, God, KT. They're like slippers. They're very comfortable. They're orange, everybody. I'm wearing orange, like, like little duck feet, but they're very comfortable. You do have like little duck mm -hmm. feet. You do. All right. Okay. So cute. <laughs> My sister, Barbara, the little sister, had these on when she was here for her birthday. So I said, oh, I like those. Okay, ready? So this is from Juanita. Hi, KT and Susie. Love listening to you both while walking. So she said it makes her walk much more enjoyable when KT is on. So, Wait, does she really say that? No, she said it makes it more enjoyable because she walks faster when she's listening you to us. You little liar. All right, go on. <laughs> I opened a Roth IRA with TD Ameritrade with $500 cash. Then I purchased the NOBL ETF. Do you know what that is, KT? This is the, yeah, Standard & Poor's aristocratic stock. How do you know that? You just told me because I asked you, <laughs> is it noble or N-O-B-L? Yeah. So you're supposed right. to say N-O-B-L. Now, the other reason you should know it, KT, is maybe a month or two ago on the podcast, I told everybody that I thought that ETF would be a great ETF to purchase, especially because it was giving about a 2.5% dividend yield at the time. And since then, it's also gone up quite nicely, oh, especially in these crazy markets. But anyway, go on. All right. So is this how I continue to fund the account, put cash in and then buy the desired ETF or stocks? If I'm funding with cash, is there any taxes I, I have to pay? I'm 62, working full-time as a nurse. I have no plans to retire yet. 
Juanita, I just have to say, please don't retire. We so need every nurse America can have right now. Yeah, We're going to need you for a long time, Juanita. So Juanita, both KT and I know I speak for her here. Thank you for your service. I'm sure you saw it all over this past year. So our love to you. So yeah, that's how you do it. Every month you put $500 in, or you could put $6,000 in, or even more because you are 62 years of age. So that means you could fund a Roth IRA with $7,000, girlfriend. So you very well could put like 582, I think it is, a month, or $7,000 all at once, and in, and then every month call up and invest that amount of money that you want to invest into the ETF and OBL. That's the symbol. There are no tax consequences because you've already paid taxes on this money. Mm. Remember, a Roth IRA is funded with after-tax dollars. So you've already paid taxes on them. The tax benefit obviously is when you go to take this money out, it is absolutely going to be tax-free pretty good. Anyway, go on. Next one is from Denise. Hi, Katie and Susie. Mm. Denise is a quick learner and she's also said she's a new listener to the Women in Money podcast. So here you go. My question is, do I keep paying annual fees on three unused zero balance credit cards or should I ask to have them closed? I've often heard from you, Susie, that if you close a credit card, it could reflect poorly on your FICO score. Yes, so here's what you need to understand. The largest part of your FICO score is determined by something called your debt, what you owe, to your credit limit ratio. They call it credit utilization rate. However, it's how much you owe on all your credit cards in comparison to how much credit limit you have on all your credit cards. You never want more than 30% of your credit limit to be used by the amount of debt that you have. So let's just say you have a $10,000 credit limit. You do not want more than $3,000 of debt on all of those credit cards because that will hurt your FICO score. So if you did owe money and you then close down some of your credit cards, your debt to credit limit ratio would go up because you have less credit limit because you closed down your credit cards. Did that make sense, my dear Denise? However, let's just say you don't carry a, a debt balance at all. You pay off your credit cards in full at the end of every month. Then it doesn't matter. If you don't owe any money, it doesn't matter if you have a $10,000 credit limit or a $3,000 credit limit, you still have a 0% debt to credit limit ratio. So therefore, especially if they are charging you a fee, you absolutely should close them down. However, the decision is, do you carry a debt? Do you carry a balance on your credit cards or not? If you carry a balance on them, do not shut them down. But that doesn't mean that you can't transfer them to a credit card that doesn't have a fee and then shut them down. All right, KT. Okay. So Susie, next question is from Kathleen. And again, Kathleen is someone that listens to the podcast on her morning walk. 
<laughs> so we're going to have to do one for walkers. All, All right. right. So here's the question. She's about to retire at the age of 66 in September. She just refinanced her townhouse for 196000 mortgage for 20 years at 2.5%. She's got a 401k with 857000 She has some bank accounts worth 60000 And she has an Ameriprise worth 405000 All right. So her Ameriprise financial advisor recommends that she transfer her funds currently in the 401k, that's the big ticket item, Susie, to him at Ameriprise in order to consolidate all of her retirement funds in one place. She said she's nervous about that and she's asking you, what should I do? Mm-hmm. I bet he would love her to do that. KT, does it say, give me, give me her question for one second. I just want to see something. So her townhouse is worth about 430000 So the mere fact that she refinanced it right now means she's going to stay in it for probably the rest of her life in her mind, don't you think? Probably. Probably. She's still young, 66. I know, given that I'm 70 about to be in just a (laughs) few days, everybody. All right, she's young. So Kathleen, here's what I would tell you. I would not do it. I would not transfer one penny at this point in time. And the reason is you said it makes you nervous. And what is the goal of money? The goal of money is to make you feel secure. And because you have that much money, where you have it right now in the 401k plan, when you leave, you can still leave it there after you've retired. And maybe you feel more secure that it's there. You like how it's invested there. So if you weren't the one who thought about, oh, you know, I have 800 some odd thousand in my 401k, and I think I should be doing this with it, versus somebody saying to you for the first time, you know what, Kathleen, I think that you should put all your retirement assets in one place, and that place is with me, and yet that makes you nervous, that's a sign that you should not do it. However... What I do think you should do is given that you have $405,000, and I imagine that's in an investment account, so not a retirement account, with this advisor, if it were me and I was going to be staying in my house for the rest of my life, or my intent was to do so, I would take $195,000 from that account. I would sell whatever losses I have and offset the gains, and maybe you could withdraw 195000 without having to pay taxes on it. Worst case scenario, maybe it's capital gains tax because maybe you've owned it for more than a year, but I would take one hundred and ninety-five or 196000 whatever your mortgage was, and I would pay that off in full. What that will save you is your mortgage payment, which is probably almost $1,100 a month. That would be approximately $13,000 a year savings in expenses. That would make your pension that you get, if you get, you know, whatever you're getting, it would make your money go a lot further so that you didn't need to take out as much money from your retirement account or your big amount, which is 857000 So if I were you, girlfriend, that's what I would do. I bet that advisor won't like that. 
<laughs> Susie, this next question baffles me, so I'm going to have to have you read it. But let me just tell you why I want you to read it. This is the first email I've ever received with so many begging little emojis and signs. Look at, I just want to show Why does it Look confuse at, no, no. you? Oh, well, it's going to confuse you too. But wait, wait, let me just read it. the opening. And then I'll let Susie explain this because I don't get it. Look, it's All got right. another page. I know. <laughs> well, the, the second page is really fun. It says, if the question's not picked by you, KT, can you please have Susie email me back a simple answer such as yes or no. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So I kind of found this to be very endearing. This is from Teiko. Teiko. So Teiko said, Dear KT and Susie, I love your podcast. Hi, KT. Please, 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 please ask Susie for me about the definition of earned income by the IRS to allow me to contribute to a Roth IRA. Um, Teiko is single. She's 60. She wants to contribute 7,000 for this year. But the problem is Susie, she was laid off and unemployed. So that's where this is all stemming from. Right, I'm going to let Susie take a pause here and read this and then respond to Teiko. All right. So first of all, what you need to know, Taiko, is that no, that unemployment benefits are not earned income and do not qualify you to contribute to a Roth IRA. So all of you should know that number one. However, if you have any earned income, and earned income really is, you have a job, you're earning income, just that simple, or you had a job a while ago, and they're still paying you royalties or commissions on work that you did. As long as the money is coming from work that you did, whether it's this year or in years past, that is earned income, right? You're also asking me that some financial advisor told you that if you convert $10,000 from a traditional IRA to a Roth, that that counts as earned income. Therefore, you can contribute to a Roth even though you are not working. Wrong advice. There's a big difference between converting money from a traditional IRA or a 401k to a Roth and contributing money to a Roth that's never been in a retirement account. So to contribute money that's never been in any type of retirement account, you have to do that with earned income. Money that is already in a retirement account, if you want to convert it, that has nothing to do with your income at all. It will have to do with taxes because any money that's in a traditional retirement account, when you convert it to a Roth, you absolutely will owe income taxes on it. So there you go. That's just what it is, Katie. So the answer, the short answer is a no. Don't do what they're what they're advising oh, her. Right. Here's what interesting. <laughs> right. You gotta be very careful here, everybody. And just, you know, even when a financial advisor gives you information, it won't hurt you to Google it and just make sure that it's correct. All right. All right. KT. Are we coming to a close? We're coming to a quizzy time. Uh -oh. 
Uh-oh. Right, quizzy, right. quizzy, quizzy. Now, because we're, we're we went long here today a little bit, right? This will be an e- easy quizzy for you. They're never easy, Susie. They're always easy. All right, everybody, because the quizzies aren't just for KT; they are for you as well. This one is from Roxanne, and she just has a simple question: If a Roth IRA can be used as an emergency fund, why does it have to always be a Roth? Because they know you hate them, right? <laughs> oh if a God. Roth IRA can be used as an emergency fund, stop rubbing your head. Then why would we need a separate emergency account? That's the question. Mm-hmm. All right, Roxanne, listen up. <laughs> Until I give you the correct answer, Roxanne. First of all, a Roth is an individual retirement account. Why? Why would you want to use a retirement account as your emergency fund? The whole goal, as I understand it, of retirement is to save money, make it grow. So when you retire... So the question is, why would she need a separate account, KT, if... A Roth IRA can be used as an emergency fund. You can use it for anything you want, but why would you? I wouldn't. Is that your answer? Yeah. (laughs) All right. See, I told you, you set me up for these. She can do whatever she wants. It's her money. But why would you? answering the question. She should not, Roxanne should not use retirement money as an emergency fund. End of story. (laughs) All right, go ahead. All right. All right. All right, my dear Roxanne and everybody else listening, I have suggested that all of you use a Roth IRA as your emergency fund. And if you do so, that you simply keep that money, however, in a money market account or a place that it's safe and sound, because emergency fund money cannot be invested in the stock market. The reason that I want you to do that is because you can withdraw any amount that you put into a Roth IRA, your original contributions, you can withdraw them at any time without taxes or penalties whatsoever, regardless of your age or how long that money has been in there. So it's got to be kept safe and sound. But Roxanne, your question was, so then why do you need a separate account? And the reason is this. I want you to be contributing fully to a Roth, and let's just say it is your emergency fund. Then outside of the Roth, I want you to set up an account. Let's just say you did the Alliant Ultimate Savings Account. And you put in $100 a month so that you could get that $100 at the end of 12 months. Now you have $1,300 in there. That would then allow you to invest $1,300 in your Roth IRA. Because now with the money in your Roth minus that $1,300 plus the $1,300 that you have there, Do you see how now you still have access to all of that money? And as time goes on and you keep investing in the Roth IRAs as an emergency fund and you build up an emergency fund outside of the Roth, eventually you'll be able to invest all the money that's in the Roth, but you didn't miss 
five or six years of being able to contribute six or $7,000 into the Roth. So the reason that I want you to do that is I don't want you to miss these years of getting money into a Roth simply because you all, you know, you're saving an emergency fund. This way you can have your cake and eat it too. So did that make sense? Yeah, that made a lot of sense. You are such a liar. No, I thought that was really a good explanation of what she should do. KT, you be honest with everybody. (laughs) Come on, I know you, Travis. (laughs) All right, so anyway, anyway, that's fine, everybody. The point of the matter is all that... I really care about is that you understand the answer to that quizzy. All right. So until Sunday. Thing is, I want to do a quizzy I get right. You have got to stop being so attached to being right, being wrong. What? That's ego, Katie. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. No, I've always worked on my ego, but here's the point. What? At least everyone thinks I I don't know anything. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because you don't. (laughs) She still loves me. (laughs) I I so much. All right, say goodbye to everybody, KT. Okay, everybody. Have a great, great weekend. We'll see you Sunday. And talk to you later, Gator. She didn't know what to say, everybody. She just looked at me like, (laughs) oh my God, she ran out of words. All right, everybody, till Sunday, you stay safe. Bye-bye. We can't give up. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.